Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a realm where reality intertwines with the inexplicable, where the boundaries of reason dissolve into the shadows of uncertainty. Welcome to the political twilight zone. I am your guide to this enigmatic labyrinth, where politics and power take on life of their own. In this dimension, the threads of truth weave a tapestry of intrigue, challenging our perception of the world we thought we knew. In this world, nothing is as it seems, and the truth lies buried beneath layers of deceit. Prepare to venture where reason meets the unexplained, and where the unexplained might just be. Well, happy weekend, everybody. Thanks a lot for joining us here again. This is Rick Wagner here at KNZZ and KGLN. 1100, 982.7, 101.3, the Internet, a few other places. Just uh, difficult to get rid of. You know, sort of like a bad penny, I think, is the thing. But uh, we're back here. Thanks for listening, by the way. I appreciate that. And before I forget, you can reach me by my email, which I forget to give out because a lot of people have it, and but obviously not everybody is listening all the time. But it's Rick Wagner, just one long word, Rick Wagner, at mail.com. Pretty simple. So uh, feel free to drop me a line. I like communication I get from you guys. I read everything. I'm not able to answer everything, but I do read it. So thank you very much. So another week goes by here. Now, there is some local Colorado stuff that I thought we'd talk about that uh, has implications, uh, or it's worth discussing for everybody else that might be listening from somebody someplace else. We had, uh, of course, uh, good old Joe, Joe Biden. Scranton Joe was in Colorado this week at a wind energy manufacturing company, which I'm sure will just go gangbusters without any federal subsidies. Oh, no, wait, that's not going to happen, is it? Uh, so anyway, so he was there, and many of you know this already. He, you know, made a joke about that uh, the Marine that follows him around has a nuclear codes that he could blow up the world. So that feels pretty good, especially with someone who you're not so sure that he knows either where he's at or who he's talking to. So that adds a, another layer of kind of excitement to it. Uh, he also, you know, kind of just laid into the so-called MAGA Republicans, went in and talking about things that were completely off topic. Really the sort of thing that uh, we expect now. And I'm sad to say that I think that we've become used to it. And we are pretty accepting of it. Like, well, I just am it is, you know I mean? And once again, I ask really the most probing question you can ask on the topic is, if you ran a convenience store, would you let Joe man the cash register? And, of course, the answer is no. If you want to take it a step higher, you say, would you make him the assistant manager? Right? Would you let him make the schedule up, you know, for the other employees? Well, of course not, because you're, you're not crazy. <laughs> you can, you can see what you got there, you know, I mean, and, and it's your money and your business. Of course, you know, wouldn't let Joe do that. You wouldn't have let Joe do that really probably in 1988. He was, a faster talker then, but he's no smarter. But now he has an extra layer of uh, fogginess uh, that uh, accentuates his, you know, low level of intellectual functioning. And here we are. I mean, this is this is again a function of the way Congress runs. Seniority. Some of you have worked. At places where they ran on seniority, it doesn't. It's not as widespread as it used to be, and would constantly, I'm sure, look at employees that have been there longer than you, that got access to different shifts or pay differentials or things like that, 
that were supposedly, you would think, based on performance, ended up being based on the fact that they just managed to stay in the job that long. The Senate is full of that. If it were based on performance in the Senate, it would just turn over every two years, which makes you wonder what the voters are thinking. The incumbency sort of racket is pretty pronounced. Uh, It's hard to lose as an incumbent. There's reasons for that, of course. Some of them are just name recognition, which you cannot diminish. I mean, that's uh, that's an important part of that. People just know the name of someone. And don't forget, you guys are listening out there are much more tuned into politics than the average voter. And you're probably smarter, too. Well, the average voter can be pretty smart, but they, they don't have a lot of the information to be able to process it through. They don't have time or the interest or whatever the case may be, or they listen too much to MSNBC, and they so they don't really know what's going on. But at any rate, the incumbency is very powerful, and if you can just find a niche and just stay there, you just get moved up. Pretty soon, when there's a committee appointment, you've been there long enough, now you're the chairman. The chairman's job in these committees is really an important job in the sense that they set the agenda for what the committee's going to hear, what they bring to the committee to debate, things like that. And bills can end up there to just sort of disappear into the uh, regulatory framework of the rules of the Senate or the House. And remember, these rules, they're not made in the Constitution. They're made by these guys. Which is always interesting because they're always talking about the rules somehow like that they were handed down from Mount Sinai to everybody, when really they made them. And they made them to favor themselves for the most part. Now there's some they keep wanting to change. You know, they want to get rid of the filibuster if there's a, if they're Democrats because they don't want anybody to get in their way from, you know, having the steamroller uh, go over the economy and uh, the Constitution. But for the most part, you know, they control it. They like to act like they don't. Now the House has the same thing, although the House is not as rigid as the Senate is in these things. So, you know, the the Senate is just going to put people through. Now, we've seen people go through. Now, let's not say the House has done it either. We know that Maxine Waters was, I believe, chairman of the Banking Committee before the Republicans took over. I could I could list a few others, but, you know, that should be emblematic enough. I mean, do you think she knows a lot about banking? I, didn't seem to, did she? Then... Joe Biden just moves through the ranks, and it's very similar in some ways, but for different reasons, that Kamala Harris is where she's at. A friend of mine at lunch the other day was saying, I can't believe that they made her the vice president. Well, it's a combination of things, isn't it? I mean, it was first, you box yourself in by laying a bunch of non-merit-related criteria out for who you're going to choose. Then you look around and realize there's not a lot of choices right at that time of experienced people in the political area that that could be seen as a viable vice president in the sense of taking over for the president. You look around and who do you have? Well, you have Kamala Harris. She's in California. She's a senator. She had been, you know, the attorney general and the... uh, Let's see, I think she's the the, uh, DA of San Francisco. All of these things, in our mind, would be things that would 
disqualify you from office. But to the Democrats, way to go. But if you look back at her tenure in all of these jobs, nothing happened of any... She didn't have any ideas. She didn't really do anything. She did follow the kind of the wind as it moved through the state when she was attorney general, you know, prosecuting cases on cannabis when it seemed like the thing to do. And then, you know, talking about how pot was cool and thinking that she apparently was um, indulging in cannabis and listening to Tupac when there was no way that she could have been in school doing that <laughs> when Tupac Shakur was around. I mean, she has a little, little Biden in him. Maybe that's one of the reasons she she was chosen. Maybe her and Joe got together and told each other stories that were completely outrageously and obviously incorrect and could not possibly be true. Joe has a lot more of them, and is a lot more bold about telling them, by the way. But we have what we've got. So we had Joe here in, in Colorado, and uh, something interesting happened. The mayor of Denver, of course, toddled right down to Cherry Creek uh, the area, which is where he had a fundraiser, and then he had went to this uh, wind turbine farm. And news came out that apparently the mayor's car got stolen. <laughs> now, we have a real problem with car theft in Colorado. It uh, has shot way up. I think the last thing I saw was 144, 114%. Uh, a lot of that is in the front range between Boulder and Colorado Springs, or Colorado Springs probably is, is included in that. And no one seems to be doing anything about it. And they don't even want to comment about the mayor's car being stolen. The story that I read was, well, we don't want to release any information because it might jeopardize the mayor's safety if we release the kind of car and the circumstances. Really? H- how? <laughs> exactly how does that any of that have anything to do with this security? Well, what it does is job security because it makes him look bad and then with the story to go away. We'll be right back. Oh, folks, thanks a lot for sticking through us, sticking with us here, <laughs> sticking through us. Sometimes it feels like that, doesn't it? Hey, I was just uh, looking at the next story I was going to talk about after we had uh, the one about the mayor's car being stolen from Denver, which going down to visit Biden, there's a there's a lot of, I think, what the ancients would refer to as omens out here. You know, you go down to visit Biden, your car gets stolen. Biden, you know, is lighting the Christmas tree and it blows over. Uh, <laughs> there's, there's a lot of things that would give uh, people who were looking for such things pause, I think, about this administration. But we already see it. So I'm not sure we need any omens to wake us up to it. Well, we were on the whole deal of, of Colorado, which unfortunately seems to pop up more and more in the news and not in ways that you would like, not in ways like, you know, Turning back the tide, uh, you know, lowering taxes, more freedom. No, that's just not what's happening here. And I posted this, by the way, on the website, which you can go look at most of these stories on the website and a lot of other stories from all over the place that update by themselves at therickwagnershow.com. You can also get there with thewaronwrong.com and politicalviking.com. These are all things we've had associated with the website, so you can find your way there if you want. And I'd recommend it. There's a lot of stuff on there. And what I wanted to bring up, first of all, before I forget, I posted this a couple of times as it moved along, but Colorado is about to join, uh, what is it, is it New York, I think is about to do it too, is uh, going to 
make a protected class for people who are overweight and cannot be discriminated against because of that. And I think it's overweight and height, both of them, which is interesting. Uh, if they had uh, something about weight versus for your height, that would be interesting too. But nevertheless, it's sort of this, as they call it, fat phobia, which I guess it's somehow people are afraid of fat. Uh, I always hate the use of the word phobia because the basic part of the word was from the Greek word. It means to be afraid, right? It doesn't necessarily mean that you shouldn't do something. It just means you're afraid. So when people say your phobia of any one of these number of things, it really isn't what they're talking about. They just don't know the difference. But if we spend our time discussing about what the left says that they don't know the difference between or know what they're talking about, we would be here all day and it would start to get boring. So Colorado is going to make it now, uh, soon, I think in 2024, because they get the legislature back in session. There's almost no doubt it's not going to pass. They're going to make it so that, you know, you cannot discriminate in the workplace or housing based on someone's size. Now, how that's all going to be determined is going to be interesting. It's going to have a lot of litigation associated with it, no doubt about it. A lot of definitions of this and that are going to have to come out of the courts. It's going to turn out to be a expensive and difficult process, just like it always is when you're trying to define a physical characteristic. Now, in the past, we had this discrimination against people based on their race or ethnicity, and then their sex, and then their choice of sexual preference, and uh, fat now, fat and height, I suppose. And when does it when does it stop? Pretty soon, almost everyone in the state is going to be a member of some protected class, or far too many people in the state are going to be part of that. So what's going to happen is that if you fall into this the new class and you are discharged from your job or some sort of uh, job censure takes place, you could always file with the Civil Rights Commission to start with that you believe it was because you were overweight. Also, we've all been hearing these stories that come out about these uh, activists, weight activists, and the campaign to force the airlines, for instance, to accommodate them in their seating. And in many cases, what they're talking about is two seats, but only having to pay for one. That has been something the airlines have obviously resisted. But I wonder now, as these laws go into place, various states, how that's going to affect them. Really, any average seating or something that is made for average individuals is going to not work as well for people who are not within the normal parameters of that body type. Are we going to make sure that there is extra width indoors? Already, 
we have a problem. And Colorado, by the way, is the thinnest state, if you want to say that. We have the smallest percentage of our population in Colorado of the 50 states that are thought to be obese. So it's interesting that we would be one of the early states to adopt this. But we already have issues in the medical profession. A couple of them right off the top is that MRI machines, for those of you that have been through one, know that it's essentially a big tube and you go in it, is they have a difficult time with some people fitting in the tube. And there is kind of, from my understanding, there is a distance that you have to have that's an optimal distance for the MRI to work properly. So if you were to make the MRI opening much larger, it's probably possible that the efficiency of it would not be as pronounced for someone who was smaller and further, much further away. I don't know. I haven't actually uh, looked too much into that, but I, I'm certain that's at least partially what goes on. I have a friend that's a radiologist. I think I'll, I probably will ask them. To, <laughs> to, but it, it, the, I think that's true because also we know that if there is too much tissue over a person, it's harder to penetrate with some of the imaging. So that that is an issue. And we talked about before on this show this movement for uh, Don't Weigh Me. Remember that movement? And you can probably you can look it up on the Internet. The Don't Weigh Me movement where uh, people want to instruct their doctors not to weigh them because usually what follows next is their physician telling them they need to lose weight because it's bad for them. We have a, a mythology in this country, and I hate to use mythology because a lot of myths are, are not – we equate that with lies or – um, things that we believe that manifestly aren't true. A lot of myths, true myths, and I've said this before, are efforts to explain things or to elaborate on human the human condition in some way that uh, it's difficult to express directly, and they're allegorical or, or metaphorical. But this kind of thing is that, well, it's just as healthy to be... 200 pounds overweight or 100 pounds overweight as it is not to be that way overweight. Well, of course, that's not true. But it is the idea behind all of this. So that the, we had that have that movement out there still. And so what happens? I mean, how do you use this new designation to get things changed? That will be the interesting part. It's not going to be just a couple of people out there that, you know, have a have a jerk for a boss that, you know, calls them names and then takes job actions against them really based on their appearance. Those are going to be pretty small numbers. The things that that I'm going to find interesting to look at is just what we talked about, seating in airplanes, seating in movie theaters, uh, all sorts of things that – would in essence be discriminatory because they are not comfortable or easily available for people who are now part of a protected class. So we'll see how that goes. But there's no end to this, it doesn't seem like. Everyone's getting added to these protected classes, and they all have consequences, which apparently 
the people who are making these rules have no clue about the consequences and, and what it will be like down the road. This goes back to what I've talked about before, which is that we now have politicians that don't even make an attempt to act like they are worried about what their actions are going to affect in the really the near-term future, five years. They're just interested in garnering a few votes right now to be able to stagger through the next election and hold on to power. And with some of them, it's just to hold on to a job because they're essentially unemployable outside of politics. So the field of vision for modern politicians, for the most part, in my view, has shrunk down even more than it used to be. And it used to be not particularly elongated, right? I mean, they didn't look that far ahead. But now there it's almost a desperate feeling that you're willing to sacrifice so much of the nation's economy or well-being or you name it in order to you know stagger through as i say to grasp power for another 2 years or 4 years 6 years if you're a senator it's not healthy all right we're back around the uh bottom of the hour and here we are while we're talking about Things that don't make a lot of sense. I mean, we could spend talking about that all day, but this is something I wanted to bring up too. We were thinking about Colorado and created the crazy direction it's going. And if you're not in Colorado, but you're listening, it's either the same or worse where you're at, or it's probably coming. So all of these crazy things have been going on. What do they cost? Hmm. I mean, what does the Biden administration cost the average person in dollars and cents? Well, there was a study that was out this last week, and it was an analysis from the U.S. Senate Joint Economic Committee. And it said that the average, I can't tell if it's the average or the median, amount that Americans are paying to get the same quality of life they enjoyed in 2021 is about $11,400. So clearly what that means is that because of inflation, all of these various drags on the economy or on things that prices of, say, fuel and things like that that boost the cost of just existing, that across the nation, generally, it costs a family about $11,400 this year over what it did in 2021 just to hit where you need to be in 2021, or where you were. Now, there is, of course, a difference between various states in terms of, you know, how much this inflation has affected them. Hmm. Let's look and see which is the highest state. Whoops. It's a Colorado. Yes. Of the 50 states, the state of Colorado has been calculated to have the highest increase that you must spend place yourself back in the same financial position you found yourself in 2021. Yep. How much is that, one might wonder? Well, it's $14,995. Just about 15000 bucks More in 2023, just to reach the point you were in 2021 because of inflation. Now, those of you listening in Utah think, wow, those guys in Colorado, they really... Yeah, Utah is uh maybe second. I have to add this up. I think it is second, actually, as I'm looking here. 
$14,551 because of inflation and some of these drags on the economy through regulation and, you know, price fluctuation on stuff. That's a pretty good amount of money. And it's crept up on us. So you know that you're paying a lot more, but it, it's hard to encapsulate how much more. I think that the most obvious one, of course, is gas prices because you see that right there on the pump. But the other one is where everybody can't help but notice it is at the grocery store. Now, some of us aren't as adroit at shopping as others uh, in terms of bargains and things like that. But even someone like myself, who is uh, tries to be a careful shopper, but uh, is a, is a little... I run in, I find something that I want, uh, you know, and I try and get out of the store fast. I'm not sure that's the best way to save money. I do try and be careful about, you know, not buying the most expensive thing, but, you know, I could probably do better. But nevertheless, you know what something cost not that long ago. Really, a year. I mean, we do have long-term memory out here, unless you're a Democrat, apparently. So we know what it used to cost. And, and now we start seeing, wait a second. I got a little bag of groceries here. Oops, wait, I live in Colorado. I don't have a bag of groceries. I have a sack that I drug in from my car and put my groceries in it. But anyway, that is costing me significantly more than it did last year. And you look at it and you go, how did that bag of groceries, a small bag of groceries, I might add, become to be $35? Seems to me like it was like Low 20-something not that long ago. I mean, you have an idea of it. This is the problem the Biden administration has, is that you know what you spend. You can't hide that from people. You can't convince them that they're not doing it, that it's not happening, that your wallet is lying to you, your bank account is trying to hoodwink you. No, that no matter how many times people mumble into a microphone, and by that I mean Joe, uh, about Bidenomics. I don't know, by the way, what who possessed him to try and put that up there uh, in a way that just makes it underlining the idea of the economy not good. Now, there are bits and pieces of it, and some of the bits and pieces that are good actually are, are a problem. Some of the robust pieces of the economy that are still hanging on actually continue to be slightly inflationary, which encourages the Fed to either raise interest rates again or to keep the interest rates high as they are now for a longer period of time. And as we know, because I have an audience out here that is people who understand things, that inflation is not something that goes down. That's deflation. Those who are familiar with a uh, balloon understand that concept. So when Joe comes out, like he did this week, and says, you know, these companies that haven't lowered prices as inflation has went down, and, you know, lays into them, you know, that they're uh, they're gouging. And this, first of all, what does he know about any of this stuff? When was the last time you think he actually bought something? I mean, out of his own pocket. Come on. Either the, we buy it for him, or apparently, you know, some foreign power buys it uh, for Hunter, and Hunter buys it for him. I don't, you know, something like that. But I don't think he has any any clear idea 
of uh, how any, much anything costs, much less how it's changed. But the idea, and I don't know who wrote that speech for him. Well, it's someone that either is completely unhinged or has absolutely no respect for the intelligence of a broad swath of the American audience. Because inflation is cumulative. When this inflation goes down, it simply means that it is increasing at a decreasing rate. These are lovely economic terms, I was like. You could have something that is increasing at an increasing rate, right? It's going up, and every week it's going up faster. Or you can have it decreasing, but uh, rather increasing, but at a decreasing rate. It's still increasing, but it's not increasing as fast. And that's where we're at now. So the real inflationary amount, if you go back a little over a year, is between 17.5%, maybe up to pretty close to 18%. What they'd like you to believe is when someone says, well, it's dropped down to 3.2%, that somehow the prices have dropped down and they're only 3.2% higher than than when. What are you talking about? If you stop and think about it, what do you mean when? What 3.2% higher than when? Well, 3.2% higher than last month which was 3.4% higher than the month before that. And it's it stacks up. It's just like putting you know blocks on top of one another. Yet they want to talk about it as though it is a singularity each time they look at it on a monthly basis. They, and they wished that you thought about it that way. But you know better. And even people that aren't thinking about it that much know better from their expenditures. So it's tough for them. But here in Colorado, we're paying an awful lot for Joe's economy. Bidenomics has gotten pretty expensive all across the nation. And apparently the most expensive here in Colorado, and probably without going through all the numbers, looks like it's about second in Utah. And none of you folks out there listening, if you're listening in other states, have escaped in that. I mean, I'm trying to look here to see, you know, at this map about which ones were the... Uh, Single digits. Oklahoma's about 8,900, it looks like. Mm, you know, Mississippi, uh, 9,100. Uh, Louisiana, 95. Those are the kind of the single digit ones. Um, Florida's even at 12,800. So nobody is getting out of this without essentially buying a used car. <laughs> that, that's kind of the price you're looking at. Even in today's market, just to stay even. It's Alice through the looking glass. Remember the Red Queen? Uh, I think it's Red Queen. I've looked at it a long time, but you know, who's running as fast as she can to stay where she's at? That's what you're doing. Except that you can't stay where you're at unless you've made a lot more money. And wages are not keeping up with inflation. I wrote something about this for the website and on our uh, Facebook page, too, because I, I was really interested in that. Because I, And I called it, and, and I believe that's what it is. It's the mirage of wage inflation. I said, if, if you look at the economic landscape from 62 to 2023, the median individual income, when you adjust it for inflation, reveals that it peaked in 2020 
Yeah, she was president then. Uh, with the median income at that point hitting about 50,000 bucks, 50,283. But see, this figure it looks like growth, but in, and it's not an economic reality. It's because you need to look at the purchasing power of those wages. A true barometer, I wrote, of economic progress is the reality today's average hourly wage, when adjusted for purchasing power, is the same as you had in 1978. So when you adjust downward for inflation, what the, what the average person, or the median, I think in this case, was making in 1978 is what you have the purchasing power right now. So thinking that the wages went way up is an illusion about what you can actually buy. You're able to buy the same thing people could in 78. Now moving forward. What I thought was interesting when I looked at these figures, when you adjust for inflation, the, <laughs> this is, this is so crazy. In terms of purchasing power, the best we had from 62 to now, terms of what you made that had the most purchasing power was in 73, January 1973, according to this calculations I did. And the rate rate, the wage rate then was like $4.03. Now, if you adjust that $4.03 wage per hour to today's economy, step that number up with inflation, how much would you have to make in today's economy to purchase the same amount as you made when you're making four dollars and three cents an hour, or whoever was making four dollars and three cents an hour in '73, that wage right now would have to be twenty-three dollars and eighty sixty-eight cents. So what you have is stagnant wage growth. Oh, stagnant! Heck, it's been going down, but you know we're at least the same as '78. I don't think that's what we want in this country. We would like to actually have more purchasing power. As time goes by, we, we get a, a kind of an illusion of purchasing power by the things we're purchasing. You know, I mean, we have technology now that we purchase that somehow seems more valuable to us just because it's kind of gee whiz. But the vast majority of what we purchase isn't that. It's regular stuff. It's food, fuel, clothing, those kinds of things. What we earn can purchase a certain amount of that. Now, a friend of mine was talking about gold one day, and we hear a lot of the hedge things on gold. And, and it, there's a good point to be made with that, is that the value of an ounce of gold, in terms of purchasing power, what you could get for an ounce of gold, say, 100 years ago, and I haven't checked these figures, but versus now is, in, in broad terms, you could get a, a very nice dinner, an expensive suit of clothes. There's several things you could have gotten a hundred years ago that you can get now for the ounce of gold. Now the price of the ounce of gold has went way up, but the, but the commensurate price of everything else has gone the same. So that's why precious metals can be a hedge because that they do maintain a certain purchasing power in the face of what we see. Now once again, the wage inflation is just that. You get more, but not really. So you have to look at the purchasing power. Now, I just bring that up because not only are they trying to, you know, and here's the thing, I hate this term now, but why it's become so prevalent. They're going to gaslight you. 
You mean think make you think you are crazy because of other things. That's not how it gets used anymore. Well, they're gaslighting me, which means they're translating into they're they're lying or they're trying to make you believe something that isn't true, which is sort of close to it. You remember why that term came into being. It's a movie. I believe Charles Boyer was in it, and it was called, I believe, Gaslight. And one of the, the major things was he was trying to, and I'm, this is all from memory, he was trying to convince his wife that she was going crazy because he wanted to uh, get at her money, and if he could have her put away and declared you know, incompetent, then that would happen. So he, there were a number of things that he was trying to do to make her think that she was losing her mind. One of them that he would regularly do is change the lighting in the house. And it was this is set in, I believe it's set in the latter uh, part of the 19th century, and there's gaslights. So he would adjust the gaslight where it might be very dim, and she would say, why it's so dim in here? And he would say, well, it's not dim in here. What's wrong with you? You know, Or he would turn it up, and you know that was that was the idea. So gaslighting is that sort of thing. But anyway, they want to make you believe something that is not true. It makes me think of what Ronald Reagan said, and I, I'm probably paraphrasing this, but I believe he said that it's not that, and he's talking about the left at the time, and this is when they were just moderately crazy. He said it's not just that they're wrong. It's that so much of what they believe is not true. That's an interesting observation. Uh, the more you think about it, the more it just kind of rings true for you. I mean, let's not even mess with Israel and Hamas and all that stuff. Let's think about these poor, disordered minds on climate change. Now, there's a great example of, of just how far things have gotten in terms of climate change out there. I mean, we see people gluing their hands to Van Gogh paintings or Van Gogh paintings and, you know, doing all sorts of stuff with, like, I don't understand this at all. And recently, <laughs> climate activists uh, in the, uh, let's see, the Metropolitan Opera, so that'd be in New York, uh, disrupted it. Because they wanted climate change. Now I've, I've tried to make connection between the climate and opera. Granted, it can be a little windy, but that's about it. And now they just moved to where everything, literally apparently everything. Now let me see if I can play this. This is, uh, someone took some video. You can't really see any video, so the, but here's the audio of us one of the climate activists interrupting the opera. Let's see if I can get it up. Wake up! The spring is polluted. The spring is tainted. The spring is poisoned. This is a climate emergency. This is a climate crisis. There will be no opera on a dead planet. All right. <laughs> that gives you a little flavor of the thinking there, doesn't it? Now, that's a very reasoned and, and rational approach to the topic. Uh, and it is probably true that there will be no opera on a dead planet. I don't know why I find that slightly funny, but I do. Now, that's what you're dealing with. 
do you think you're just going to be able to like uh, confront these guys and have a rational discussion about it? No. They're long past that. That ship has sailed a long time ago for these characters. They are incapable, if you look at some of their antics, of being reasoned with. I mean, I don't know at what point they turned the corner, but they did. Now, that is a situation where, in my opinion, based on what I've read and tried to have an open mind about, is that it's based on very little evidence. And a lot of the evidence that has been based on in the past has proven to be not exactly correct. And, yes, the climate changes. And it has changed many times. And it has changed many of those times when there wasn't any carbon footprint by anybody to speak of. I mean, you know, walking your cattle to the market in the medieval times was not exactly a high-carbon event. Yet, the climate changed. Some of it was fairly drastic in these times, before the automobile, before the Industrial Revolution, all of that stuff. And we have the have had the climate change to a colder climate, the little ice age, to a warmer climate, with the, you know, the warm period of the medieval period, medieval times. Uh, th- there's there's a number of examples of that, and I've talked about the pro- the climate change that occurred in what 1177 BC that uh, caused a they believe a very bad uh, drought, and then it led to a migration of people into the Mediterranean and really kind of destroyed those civilizations. And when we think about destroyed civilizations, remember, the barbarians are always at the gate. They're always waiting just out there. If you have a civilization, a country or whatever, that has a lot of good stuff, there's always people waiting right out there that would like to have it. And if they don't think that you can hold on to it, then they're going to come get it. Or they're going to wait for you to just tumble down the hill, and then they're going to come pick up the pieces. They're not interested in coming in and moving it forward. They're just interested in coming in and sort of picking it over. So the world is not a friendly place if you are at one end or the other. If you're really incapable of defending yourself or doing anything, that's also pretty bad. If you at one point were powerful and accumulated a lot of neat stuff, and you are no longer interested in protecting it or understand how to protect it or understand how you got there, that's also a very dangerous position to be in. And that's where we're at now, I think. Certainly my opinion. You guys can form your own, but I think a lot of you feel the same way. So where's this going to end up? I know I say all the time, I'm not sure. I don't think that we end up with any kind of stability again unless something radical happens, and I couldn't really say. We all need to think about that a little bit. Uh, how do we get things back on course? And what is the course? See, that's the other thing. I don't think we can go backward to the way things were exactly 20 years ago or whatever. But we can certainly pick through history and see what works and what doesn't work and try and steer our ship that direction. See you next week. <laughs>